oh, festive with the holiday, and uh, we've been journeying through 1 Corinthians, and one of the things I really love about uh, our tradition in Churches of Christ is that we really celebrate God's Word, and as your minister, uh, I, really my favorite form of preaching is expository preaching, whole books of the Bible, and uh, I'm not a rush-right-through kind of guy. I like to dig in and smell the roses. I, I, I love God's Word, and I really let the Scriptures determine the content of my preaching. But I also let this, the Scriptures determine my uh, schedule as well. So while most churches today are talking about a birth narrative or Christmas-appropriate themes, I'll be talking about sexual immorality. Aren't you excited? Yay! Uh, and I really appreciate churches that follow a more lectionary-style schedule. Uh, they're going to be much more scripted in their liturgy uh, this time of year, certain times of year, like Christmas and Easter. And I'm not against this approach in any way, but I tend to prioritize uh, the Word of God any way I can and present it in as raw and unfiltered way as I possibly can and just expose, it, expose us to it, let us be challenged by it, convicted by it, let it encourage us, and try to stay out of the way as much as I can. <clears throat> So, in September, uh, if you would have asked me that on December 11th we would be preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, I would not have known that. The Lord knows. Uh, but have you ever felt like during a sermon that I'm preaching, that I was preaching to you? Like, how is it that Calvin knows my stuff? Have you ever had that feeling? How does he know my issues? And the short answer is, I don't. And I almost never preach a sermon with a particular person in mind, uh, except myself a lot of times. I preach to myself. Uh, but the way the Word of God works and the power that it has is that oftentimes it sneaks up on us. It sneaks up on us when we're least expecting it. Anyway, I... I take a moment to explain some of the way I come and I approach Scripture, and I love those moments when God's Word sneaks up on us and convicts the heart, and I feel, almost feel, this connection sometimes between the words that I am privileged to speak and the hearts that receive them, even hard words sometimes, uh, that challenge us and make us uncomfortable, and we don't like to necessarily hear. I don't know what my battery's doing or something. All right. So I may be the only preacher in Eugene, Oregon, preaching 1 Corinthians 6 this morning. Maybe for the whole state of Oregon. I don't know. But one of the important things to remember about the Corinthian Christians, Paul has to write some hard things to them. One of the things that we can easily forget is these are all brand new Christians. They're brand new. No, none of them had been Christians for a very long period of time, maybe some of them a few years, and that was it. 
Most people, when they begin as a disciple of Jesus, they start out well, they're excited. They're ready to learn new things. They feel close to the Lord. We tend to at the beginning. But as time passes, inevitably, uh, the enemy of your soul will attack. And these attacks usually come to us in the form of ideas. Where, as a new Christian, I would think, it doesn't feel as good as I thought it should feel. I thought things would be better. Why can't I do whatever I want? Does it really matter? Does God even really care about this? Does this really apply to us anymore or today? See, some time had passed in Corinth since Paul and Apollos were there providing strong leadership for that church. And in their absence, in their absence, some very worldly wisdom had crept back into their thinking. The Corinthians, they're making compromises, and what really needed to happen is for their unconditional surrender, the surrender of their hearts to Jesus Christ. And so Paul Paul at times, he sounds harsh, because he sounds harsh because he understands what's at stake. Sometimes we can't just tiptoe around. We are involved in war. A spiritual war, a war for our eternal destinies, a war for the soul. So last week, uh, at Paul's difficult writing, we looked at that about a sexually immoral man who was unrepentant, and the church leadership was boasting about their tolerance, and Paul is decisive in dealing with unrepentant sin, and he passes judgment to exclude the sinner from the church. And the two things we noted, the spirit of any judgment that a church exercises is motivated by, well, maybe a sense of protecting the church as a a group of people, but also has in mind the benefit and the restoration of an individual. The motive of church discipline isn't to get rid of a problem. It is motivated because of love. Uh, True love, love that does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. We always hold out a hope that hard hearts and unrepentant, arrogant hearts, that they will change over time. That those who are lost, they will be found. That someday people will wake up and realize, I have become a prodigal child and realize that it was better in my father's house. Life was better. But God continues to work, whether you're in this building, whether you're out, whether you're just spiritual and you don't care about church that much, wherever you are, the Lord is at work. We are never beyond his reach. You see, you and I, as individuals, we can choose the way of the world. That is on the table for us. You can choose to give yourself to any kind of filth and perversion you imagine. 
You can completely surrender to any feeling of lust you have. You can surrender to your greed, your selfishness, your pride. You can give yourself over to bitterness and anger. You can give yourself to these things and not even feel bad about it, maybe eventually. You can be hard-hearted and completely unrepentant about those things. But in the end, they're going, to cost you, they're going to cost you more than you know. Some of us have learned, hey, we, we tend to think, hey, God's way is hard. God's way is hard. The truth is, it is hard. But God's way is, in fact, in the end, the easy way. And the only way that saves So last week, we ended with Paul's intentional use of metaphors based on the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover to remind the church we are a community on the move. We are a community of mission and purpose, and we don't have time to sit around and let the leaven of malice and wickedness do its work. The church is a community on the move. The church is involved in a whole new exodus. An exodus, and we are making our escape from the house of slavery and sin to ways of freedom in Jesus Christ. That is the mission that we are on. And in our text today, Paul, he shares some of the boundaries of any judgments that a church might make. You see, we're not here to pass judgment on the world. But if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means something, and certain things are expected of you. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy, and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world, Paul says. So the limits of any judgment that we would make is within the church itself. We don't try to hold or enforce our understanding or our standards on this world. Uh, It stops with the people of God. And that doesn't mean that we don't try to share our faith. And that doesn't mean we don't advocate for laws and actions that advance our understanding and Christian worldview and Christian values. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul recognizes that in the world, we're going to be rubbing elbows with people who are living very different kinds of lives than we ourselves are living. Their priorities are going to be very different. Their morality is going to be very different. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. The place we have to act is within the church, and sometimes with those who are brazenly sinning and calling themselves faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. But the truth is, there are certain ways of life that are no longer available to us when we take a hold of Christ. 
They're just incompatible. It's a whole different direction and trajectory and set of priorities. Because I take a hold of Christ, that speaks to my sexuality and my practice of it. It speaks to my use of resources. This is mine. That's my business. I'll do whatever I, I earn this. I'll do whatever I want with this. It speaks to the worship of anything that we would put in God's place. It speaks to the way that we talk about others. Gossip or slander. It speaks to, hey, I just need this to relax. I just want this. I the way that we that we take care of our bodies, the way we pleasure ourselves, the ways that we comfort ourselves. When we take a hold of Jesus Christ, there are implications of that decision and things that are expected of us. It's, a one thing, it's one thing to live and take a hold of whatever of this that you want to take hold of. It's a whole other thing to call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, to call yourself a Christian, and say, these things don't matter. These things no longer apply, they're no longer relevant, you just do what you want. And this heart of defiance at the word of God and the will of God, it reveals a prideful and arrogant heart. Again, I think these, these circumstances that Paul is addressing in Corinth are people who are really flaunting and arrogant about their sin, and they're trying to rub it in your face. I dare you to say anything about this even. How dare you? But if they're not a part of the fellowship of the church, it's a whole, we're, we treat those people with love, and it's a whole different circumstance. We don't try to hold them accountable to certain things. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Our area of responsibility for judgment, it is in fact in the church, and it's just, it's very limited. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I take a certain responsibility for the church that I'm actively a part of. And that's actually, that's a great relief for me personally that I can trust God to judge all the, the impossible situations of the world. I don't have to fix everything. I can't fix what's going on in Ukraine. I can't, I can't even fix my own lunch sometimes. How can I? In the church, we do what we can to help the church that we are a part of. Can what we can to have a church, our church be faithful and follow the clear commands of God and to thrive.
Now in chapter 6, Paul gets into this other area of judgments that we are called to make. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment because, or instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? So in the times to come, uh, there will be uh, significant responsibilities on the, the people of God to render judgment. Uh, in this case that Paul is dealing with here, we know that this is some kind of formal legal dispute between church members, and it's played out in front of a worldly court. And then Paul gives us some perspective. Uh, this little thing between these people in the church building, it's trivial compared with the responsibilities that are coming. He says this, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? And I thought about that this week. Calvin judging angels. What in the world would qualify me to judge angels? Or you, for that matter. Well, clearly there's an inherent mystery to this that I don't fully understand. But I don't think that angels have free will the way you and I do. An angel can rebel against God, but an angel is never in doubt as to the existence of God or the will of God. All humanity is given a free will. And some of us have chosen to use that free will to choose Jesus Christ. Of all the choices there are that this world has to offer, of everything everyone is saying, this is good, this is bad, this is... Some of us have said, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the King. Jesus Christ is number one. Every other decision or thing that needs to follow needs to follow after Jesus Christ. Some of us have made that decision. God honors that kind of faith and that kind of decision. You see, when we become a people who habitually choose Jesus Christ before all other things, when we habitually choose whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, pure, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's where our thoughts are. We think about things like that. And when Jesus Christ becomes the, the number one priority of your life, it changes all other allegiances, all other claims, all of the circumstances that you're going to face and the decisions that you have to make. See, it's not that I don't face temptation. It's not that I don't struggle against sin. But when it's on the table, 
and I come into the room. And there's no one else in this room, by the way. What do you like when no one's watching? And you have the choice to sin or not. And no one will ever know. And it's secret. You'll never feel shame or embarrassment because of it. It's just you and God. Some of us, when we're alone on that, in that place, and I want what I think that sin can give me, but I know there is another choice. And his name is Jesus. And even when no one is watching, our character has changed to the point that we will always choose Jesus Christ. And it doesn't even, it's not even a struggle anymore. We can get to that point by God's grace. We can even grow to the point where we choose God's way when it is at odds with my personal wants and desires. We become the kind of people who can pray as our Savior taught us. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. It becomes the core of who we are. And all other questions of identity or allegiance or our life, they are answered from that place of not my will, but what is your will, God? What do you want to be done in this situation? So the adoration of Christ, a Christ-focused life, a Christ-oriented heart, when you are in love with Jesus Christ, a heart of love given to Christ makes you safe to pass judgment in certain situations. And in the, in the days to come, I think there's going to be greater responsibility given to the saints of God for those who have chosen Jesus Christ above all other things. Because we make judgments from a place where our motive is the same that God has. Our heart is more and more similar and sanctified to be like God's heart. And God, we know that God is love. And God, we know, is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And we can become like that too because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So suddenly, any interpersonal spats that we might have in the church, they're put into perspective, are they not? We get worked up over the small potatoes and the things that don't matter a hill of beans, and we are masters of turning the molehills into mountains. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in, scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Believers. 
those passing judgments in Corinth, whoever they've gone before, it's clear that they're living by diff very different priorities. It's a civil service, maybe, or the secular judicial system, whatever that was set, the way they set that up in ancient Corinth. Uh, these are people they're bringing judgments to that don't understand or necessarily care about the things of God. But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. These Christians, they're airing their dirty laundry before an audience of unbelievers, and they're making the church look bad in the process. These brothers, by their actions, are showing that the issue, whatever the issue is, is more important than the fact that they are brothers in Jesus Christ. That is what is on display before the world. That some things are more important than the fact that we are brothers together in the Lord's church. Paul says, why not rather be wronged than to let things get to this point? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Some of us are so used to fighting for the scraps of this world, as if this world and this life is all there is, that if we need to shove a few people out of the way, well, then so be it. They should have known better to get in my way. Are they a Christian? Well, they should have known better. Some people who call themselves disciples or a Christian, they are willing to treat a fellow believer as collateral damage on their way to get what they want. Collateral damage. Paul says, you're defeated already. You're defeated already. You see, when you take Jesus as your Lord, it changes the way you act. It changes the way you treat others. You understand that God has expectations for your life. It is not business as usual anymore. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When someone comes to Jesus Christ, it is not business as usual. Our priorities change. The priority of what does Calvin want? What does Calvin want to do? What, would, what does Calvin desire? That gives way to my search for this new life that is available to me, life in the kingdom of God. So you know the story of Jacob and Esau. I used to think Esau was such a fool for trading his inheritance for a bowl of soup. 
There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who give up their inheritance in Christ for way less than a bowl of soup. And Paul says, don't be deceived, because when you want to do something, we come up with all kinds of excuses and reasons to justify and do it. I'm a Christian, but God just wants me to be happy. So it doesn't matter that I'm having sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend outside of marriage. It doesn't matter that I've put things in God's place and given myself to whatever, whatever idol that is. It doesn't really matter if you cheat on your wife or have gay sex or steal stuff. It doesn't matter if you're consumed by greed. Hey, that's mine. I earned that. It doesn't matter if I get sloshed out of my mind with alcohol or drugs or whatever, that if I gossip and talk bad about people, it's because they deserved it. Or if I swindle or cheat, if I'm a con man, well, I'm just working the system. I'm just playing the game. We come up with all kinds of justifications and excuses. Don't be deceived. If you claim Jesus Christ is Lord, if you wear his name, it is not business as usual. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Your behavior and the choices you make, they matter. And the truth is that God, he does ask some really, he asks some really hard things of us. And for some of us, the things that he asks, they, they're harder for some people than they are for other people. But I think when it comes down to it, the question we need to ask is not whether or not God asks hard things from us, maybe even impossible things. The question we need to be asking first before that question is if it's hard or not. We need to answer the question, is Jesus Christ worth it? Is Jesus Christ worth it? All the headache, all the pain, all that I will have to give up, all of the wonderful experiences that I can imagine that I will never get to, is Jesus Christ worth it? Is my inheritance in the kingdom of God worth the price? You know, I'm, I hear those texts, and I think, you know, as I read those words and I comment on them, there's a lot of people who would say, you know, maybe this church isn't safe. It's not safe for me. I have sexual sin. I cheated. I have same-sex attraction. I'm trans, I'm single, I, I'm single but I struggle with sexual purity, I'm greedy, I'm selfish, I'm a drunkard, I'm an addict, I'm a grifter, I'm a con artist, I'm a thief. You don't know what I've done, Calvin.
if there is the smallest part of your heart that says, I want to do things your way, Lord Jesus. This is the safest place in the world. If you have a heart that says, I have this history, I have all this baggage, I don't think I can do this. But there's even the smallest part of you that says, I have to try because I think Jesus Christ is worth it. Then you've come to the right place. And we, just so you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we may have fallen a thousand times. But we're just a group of people sitting with each other saying, can you get up one more time? Will you try one more time? If you will fight for faith in Jesus Christ, you will not fight alone. You have a whole room full of people who will go to bat for you, help you, encourage you, pray for you. We need to become that kind of community that helps each other at that level. But more than this, if you come before the Lord with a heart that says, Lord Jesus Christ, you are worth it, He will make a way for you. He will help you. We are not alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, by all the host of heaven. The Spirit of the living God will come and make a way for you. If you will, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ. If you will, in earnest, try to do things His way. Christians are always tempted to think that, you know, it's impossible to do things God's way. We have an ugly, sinful history. We have all of these strong desires. Or we've claimed such and such as our identity. If I were to ask you, I am a... I am a what? Fill in the blank. I am a... Did you know that God has an answer for you are a? So Paul closes this section of very hard words, trying to speak to the truest part of who you are, the depth of your identity. And he says this, And that is what some of you were. All this list of things. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, the biggest story of 
your history, the biggest story of your identity. It's not your pronouns. It's not your demographics. It's not your history. The biggest story about you. is what Christ has done on your behalf and what he wants for you and from you. See, you can live your life in such a way where you try to continue to call the shots yourself. Or you can surrender to this place where your identity is hidden with Christ in God. And the biggest part of your story now becomes this. The biggest part of your identity now becomes this. When I take on Jesus Christ as Lord. Whatever you say about Calvin, the mistakes he's made, his understanding of himself, whatever was there before, now, as someone who takes a hold of Jesus Christ, this is who he is. He is washed. He is sanctified. He is justified. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So a tough word for us this morning. I hope, I hope we don't shy away from just being able to share and read what is written in the scriptures. I hope we don't give up. I hope that we become a community of faith that if the smallest parts of us are just whispering together, Jesus Christ, I want it your way because you are worth it, we will give each other a hand. We will stand by each other. We will stand against the tides of this world. This world plays by a whole different rule book than we do. God will make a way for us. And he will help us because of what Jesus has done and because his spirit lives in our lives, in our hearts, helping us become more like Jesus. And we don't get it all right. I don't get it all right as your preacher. I try to preach the truth as it's given to me to share with my understanding, with a heart that loves Jesus Christ more than anything else. So, uh, BP, you can come up here. Next week, we're going to change gears a little bit, and uh, we're going to put our First Corinthians series on hold for just a few weeks. Uh, we'll have Christmas and New Year's, and then I'll be sharing a different kind of message next week, and then in January, we'll come back to First Corinthians, and we'll go on for there. But if there's some way that I can help you, uh, I'll be standing up front here as we... Uh, uh, have our song that we're singing and you can come up and you can share uh, uh, your desire to put on the Lord in baptism to be washed and justified and sanctified and take on that name of Jesus Christ. 
or if you need the prayers of this church or have some other concern you would like to share that we can pray over together as a congregation, you'll find me up here.